Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on F on AMC. Jesus, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Ah, uh, it might be a long day. Today we're talking about season two, episode three, entitled Amarillo. What? It's not Amarillo? Amarillo is how they say this in Texas. Is that like how they say Versailles is Versailles in Indiana? I think so. Okay. Yeah. It's just like American butcherization of sure. butchering of all these words. I don't what, know. What I love about Versailles is that five miles away is a town called Napoleon. But they don't fucking call it Napoleon. <laughs> like if you're gonna be, con- if you're gonna uh, mangle shit, do it consistently, man. Right. Either mangle it or don't. Yeah. But either wipe your ass with the French language, or you, or you don't. <laughs> right. So Amarillo is how you say this. Uh, do you want to talk about anything before we get right into the recap, or should I just go for do it? Do you want to play the name game? I mean, well, he starts off in Amarillo, Texas. The the letterhead he put on there was yellow. Okay. Also, and and canary yellow at that. You're right. So there's another tie-in if you go with the Amarillo. Uh, and I actually have a I have a pondering theory on that, <laughs> or maybe it's just a ponderous theory. Okay. Do you uh, want to? No, no. I'm gonna go wait until I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait until we get to the. So point. I describe this first scene. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we start off with Jimmy on a street corner in Amarillo. Uh, the Sandpiper bus rolls up and it stops. The driver gets out and says. It becomes clear that they have an arrangement. Mm. Uh, he says, "You got five minutes." He fakes working on the front of the, the on the engine or whatever. Uh, Jimmy goes in the bus, tells the woman that he wants to help her get her money back. Everyone else overhears this and is suddenly interested. They all kind of get into his sales pitch, which is some some uh, story about her nephew Steve and like wanting to to get money back from a manager at a at a diner, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's it works. A, it's very relatable to that class of person. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Uh, I does this actually? I mean, I, I guess these people are in an old folks' home. Uh-huh. Like it's 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 an upscale nursing home. So if these people, I mean, I, it's man. It, I feel like it's if if I was an old person watching this, I'd be pissed. Because it's portraying me as a Matlock watching, uh, murder she wrote watching, helpless rube, that- and yet it does seem like that it is a, a fact that senior citizens are, uh, you know, targeted for scam type things. And this is, right. you know, Jimmy. We find out later is running a a scam, a legal scam. It's a legal scam aimed to benefit them. It's borderline illegal. It like, seems I, I, I've got some some law talk at the end of the episode. It seems like okay. it's, it's just it's completely. I don't know about illegal, but definitely uh, against the ethics of bar any bar association you'd find in the land, right? Which would get you disbarred. So then, practicing law would be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's a roundabout way to illegality. Okay. Um, having said that. It's amazing. This he's taken his matlock, his base matlock outfit. Mm-hmm. He has he's upgraded it with cowboy boots, and <laughs> and the gold plated, the gold the gold plated armadillo. Maybe it's not plated. Maybe it's solid. Solid gold armadillo. He's got a new job, right? He's got the. That's true. He's got the cocoa he's bolo not desk. Gold plating this shit. No, no, he's got a real solid gold armadillo. Uh, armadillo? Armadillo, yeah. <laughs> Armadillo. Have you ever had an armadillo quesadilla? I have not. Oh man. Mm. Uh but <laughs> it uh no, it's uh it, it's it's really nice. It's really nice to see him refining the the ice cream suit here. 
It is. I I do have a little bit of a problem. He's he's not lying to these old people, but he is no. tricking them. Well, I, I in a in a sort of way. I mean, it's kind of for their benefit. I would say that he's, he's definitely also, soliciting. He's being dishonest. He's definitely soliciting. Yeah. I don't know that he's saying anything that's a lie. He's, right, but he's not being upfront, what which, do you mean? I, which I don't like. You he's, mean, he's not upfront with like I'm trying to to. I don't know. Get you people to sign on to this this case. I think and we've got a big case going. I, I, I realize I think he would rather do that, but he. I know. all this dissembling is to try to get around unsuccessfully the laws of solicitation. It just it comes off as sleazy, hmm. and maybe that's a problem with with lawyer solicitation in general. But yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like he can say, "Well, this is for their benefit." Till you're blue in the face, but it's also. Mm-hmm increasingly obvious to his benefit which is you yeah. know, that's the whole problem with solicitation you sure. know you're you're trying to help the person the client not enrich yourself that's just a you know happy uh-huh. byproduct of the sure. process i suppose yeah. but yeah i mean you you know it's that makes stands reason you insert uh, financial gain into anything in life and it gets all fucked up and corrupted it does it to you know, I mean, look at prescription drugs. God damn, can't watch a football game without getting boner pills and asthma pills and crazy pills shoved down your yeah. dick hole or your, your well, wherever they put them. I mean, your, yeah, your, some your, of those go in your dick hole. Some of your them lady don't. hole. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 aimed at but it's aimed at everybody, <laughs> right. uh, and it's just crazy. Uh, so sure. Now yeah. it is interesting because again, I've I've known enough lawyers that. It seems like a lot of what you see on popular television is kind of – it's not maybe get you disbarred, but it's kind of distasteful. Okay. Like, you know, the Keller and Keller where they, they – it, it's like it's – it's I guess it's not allowed to promise an outcome. But when you show an insurance right. company shitting their pants and settling as soon as they hear the name of your firm, uh-huh. that how can that not – yeah, I guess that's a difference between implication. Yeah. That's, that's how Dennis is not a rapist on <laughs> – Always sunny. Like, I right. mean, if, if that's the, if the legal right. standard no. we're splitting. I, but... I don't know that I would make that call. I don't feel comfortable making no, that call. No, that's what I'm saying. But he certainly does. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I get your point. It's it's a fine line, and I think Jimmy is not technically crossing it here because he doesn't approach these people. They approach him. He, they just happen to be in the same space when he's talking to the woman who did respond. But the fact that he... I mean, that's the thing, um, and I think Chuck rightly points out, like, this is all sounds real good in your head. Right. This is not going to sound good in chambers with a judge Uh when you got an angry uh, defense counsel across the aisle. Could potentially get this whole case thrown out. Exactly. Like, just, uh, what is it, mistrial is what they I call it? I don't know it. what you do, it would be, but it's... If if evidence... Some clusterfuck. If, like, if clients are... Cl- maybe they just dismiss the clients, but maybe. I can't imagine. Well, I like, mean, I guess the it might harm the class action status of it. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd be curious what to know what would happen if they got into this using these tactics, yeah. and then the judge found out and decided that was illegal. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure we have lawyers who can tell us. I'm sure we do. The other thing about this first scene that I really like, there are a couple of really great shots here, and they really like to use the entire frame, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you've got shot of the big wall with Jimmy standing there on the corner, and he's in the very bottom right corner of the screen, and then you see the, the sandpiper bus come in from the side. This show takes its time. 
It, it does, and, it, at a and it, ex- pace. it explores the space. You it know? does. It really does, and I, I appreciate that in, in a way that other shows just don't I do. I mean, they walk a fine line here, because if it was 1% yeah. less watchable, you'd start tapping your feet and say, tapping your toe and be like, well, this is starting to get pretentious, but right. they're still staying on the sweet side. And I can see, like, if a person who, you know, hasn't exactly cut their teeth in all the Golden Age of television, if they're this is, like, the first thing they're watching, or they're coming from Breaking Bad, maybe... This would be perceived as boring. Yeah, I so I was watching this episode and it wasn't very funny. No, I didn't think this episode had much that was funny in it at all. I it's feel a like Mike this episode. this Amarillo scene could have been funnier. Like they could have gone a little bit more over the top with it in order to put hmm. inject some some comedy into this episode because I didn't think there was any. See, I thought it was it was funny but in the more of a droll kind of way. It, it's like this you, you get the similar satisfaction right. of like in when you're watching an Ocean's 11 film and you're watching their song, you know, just play a part or one of them just scam somebody really good. You get that pleasure of seeing someone like wow, they are hitting every particular note on this particular person to make this thing work. Again, right. Jimmy's a scam artist with a heart of gold. You can see how this could easily be twisted uh, against these. But, you know, just the way he's talking and the Nana and Bobos, he's dropping. I get it. It's and... just not – I don't know. I've seen him do this so many times, and, I and, guess. And you that know that a lot, I, I imagine a lot of old people don't want to stand up and, like, you know, get in a confrontation. They're confrontation adverse. And it's like, oh, you know, they want to be more deferential. And he's playing right into that, like – you know, some uh, old it's it's some, some other well, old other people old, will the, kick your ass out of the room and the, to get off my fucking fuck lawn, yeah. et cetera. But these people don't have lawns; they're in a nursing home. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but you know, the fact that he's like, I, you know, I'm sure it's just a mistake. It's just an overcharging. But if you got overcharged at a restaurant, you'd want to get that settled. Right. You know, this isn't you being a whiner or complain. This is you. You know, this is this is, and, and you know what? If, if they're an upright business, they'll probably want to make this better. Yeah, which we know, Sandpiper. Now, that's the one thing that I'm – in one of my ponderings, I'm wondering how much of this is going to blow up in Sandpiper's face because if Jimmy is arguably soliciting, they are inarguably being dicks about letting their clients – customers have access to legal representation. Oh, yeah. Throwing throwing out the mailers would be um, hugely – What is the law if a lawyer if, – if an old person responds to a lawyer's written communication, which mm-hmm. is as long as it's – we'll get into that later – as long as it's properly identified as such – that's legit. Uh-huh. She signs of her own free will. He shows up, and they they say we you can't come in. Is that I legal? I have no idea. I don't either. <laughs> okay. But it seems like that's the kind of like if, if, if it feels like Sandpiper's playing a bit of a dangerous game as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. This this scene was good, but not great. Um, and I feel like going into the next scene where it's the HHM meeting, uh. It felt more like an episode of Law and Order, and I was a little like, "This this episode needs to get moving." They're they're spending a lot of time in this meeting room. Well, and it's just like I said last week about some of this lawyer talk is mm-hmm. really shallow and superficial. These boardroom scenes where it's like you get the last fifteen seconds of just really boilerplate legal mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. about some kind of fairly blindingly obvious thing about the case, and then it lets Saul do or Jimmy do his thing. Like it's it's like bookended by kind of just patent nonsense, and it, there's, it's very artificial feeling. And I think this show needs to find a way to get away from this more 
traditional courtroom stuff and get back into Jimmy's court because it's this stuff is not working for me. Right. I th- I think so. I don't think the Sandpiper stuff is bad. I thought it was better last season when he was you know rooting around in dumpsters and investigating. Writing that's where Jimmy lives. Toilet paper. That's where Jimmy lives. Yes. Yeah. And I. I think now that they're so deep into it, I, I'm much more concerned about Jimmy and Kim and Chuck and, you know, Hamlin. Like, all of these characters that I love, I don't care as much about the case. No, I feel like that... Uh, but they're really going hard on the case right now. That the that these writers do good uh, do a good job at writing pleasant-sounding, like, quasi-legal... Mm-hmm. Is that is that right kind of law? And that's where Saul and Jimmy kind of make their bones, right? TV law, TV law, whatever. It's TV law. It's when, fine. when they try to do like official sounding law, I, it becomes clear that they don't really have much of a handle on it. And also it's more important because that is like legit real. I mean, in Jimmy's world, he can get away with whatever he can get away with, right? Uh, in the real world, you got actual law and legal principle and stuff like that. And I, I just I, – I, this stuff – I, I don't think like this is a long, long, long-term problem. I don't think Jimmy's long at yeah. the new law firm. Maybe even first five next minutes episode. next episode. <laughs> Maybe. Like, who knows? It depends. Uh, I, there's, there's a theory on that. I want to just describe this next scene so that we can people can know what we're talking about. Uh, if so you must. He, yeah. In the HHM meeting, he gets congratulated by Cliff for his client outreach, but Chuck has a little bit of a problem with the solicitous nature of the, the sign-ups. Sure. Uh, Jimmy tries to explain how it's not solicitation, and people buy it. Unfortunately, Kim does not, uh, and you can tell because she's not playing footsie with him this time, which leads Jimmy to agree that he won't continue this method of outreach. Yeah. Um. So I I don't exactly know what these ethical guidelines are on solicitation. I I did see um the AMC's uh, Story Sync mm-hmm. stuff uh, had a definition of solicitation and they yeah. said it was any targeted communication sent by an attorney through direct in-person live telephone or real-time electronic contact that offers to provide legal services well i've got i got so, new mexico statute or at least oh uh, jesus board okay. guidelines later on all right uh, and I, I i'm reminded this reminds me back in the days when i used to knock on doors for god mm-hmm. every once in a while you come across a door that would say no solicitation yeah, and we were, were trained to say we're not soliciting. We're talking about the Bible. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the householder was not going along with that legal fiction. Yeah, you still got thrown not... the fuck off of their property. Rightly so. So I feel like that's <laughs> the same thing with the sli- if you have to argue strenuously that oh no, it's not. I'm t- I I might be knocking on your door and bothering you and trying to push a product into your hands, but it's not solicitation because you're probably soliciting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so we talked a little bit about like the slow nature of, of this legal stuff. Um, and, and I was thinking about it kind of through the lens of Breaking Bad and Breaking Bad didn't have this, right? Like meth dealing versus, uh, lawyering. That's all wild, wild west. Yeah. Right. They're two very different things and they have very different tempos. And I feel like maybe I want this show to live a little bit more in the, the, faster tempo I, feel like it's happier I want chuck there. to speed up his metronome play a little faster i feel like it's happier there but there's something they're trying to do with yeah. chuck kim and jimmy that requires jimmy to be living in chuck's world for a bit longer you're right and i'm, I'm being right. paid like, i'm just saying that this 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 is really they're spinning their wheels a little bit in these scenes just a little bit i'm not i'm not completely nah. down on it i like this episode i thought it wasn't as funny as i wanted it to be and it was a little bit slower than the others but i can tell they're setting us up right Uh, so I have a question about Chuck. 
Chuck seems to like. I know that they're still throwing the cell phones in the box, whatever, and mm-hmm. keeping it outside the room. Chuck is he wearing the spacesuit anymore? Because yeah. he's not making crinkling noises when he's moving. Well, and you know, you you're asking a lot it, from the Foley guys to be crinkling all the time. I'm asking him to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm. I mean, the the Foley guy just got tired. I can't listen to this fucking crinkling yeah. anymore. That's yeah. it. I'm it's done. Like fingernails of the chalkboard with him. It's like it's it's either the crinkle or me. <laughs> One's got to go. I've played the scene a hundred. I feel times. like I'm doing a lot of work trying to solve. Uh, if that is true, that's a plot hole. Same was the baseball cards being in. Is it boxes. or is it progress? On Chuck's part. I don't... Because uh, they don't it, make note of him being in the office anymore. He's just in the office. I guess you're right. If they, That could be a... It could be a sly way to point that there is progress. That we will... As we look back in four episodes... Oh, yes. We see this. And, oh, maybe we... He's, someone's using a cell phone in front of him. He's not freaking out. Right. It's too early to say. Because it could also be yeah. baseball cards in a shoebox. Okay. I'm with you. So after the meeting, uh, Jimmy talks with Kim, who lets him know that uh, solicitation can get him disbarred. Blew off his, his, his request for footsies, too. Yeah, no no footsie today. Uh, and that her job is on the line, too, since she vouched for him. Uh, once she gets her point across, she also says, look, I know you can do the job. You just have to do it right. Yes. So she's trying to be the guiding light here for Jimmy. Yeah, no, I think uh, I feel like I fully understand what she's doing and mm-hmm. it seems like the correct thing to be doing there's a look on jimmy's face though when she's like look we both know you can do this job that i'm not certain jimmy knows he can do this job hmm. like he's capable of it um like skill wise i just don't think he's his mentally heart, yeah and yeah his heart's in in that thing i don't know if he could bring himself to do i think this she's, she's technically right he can do this job he has all yes. the skills necessary, but does he have the inclination? Right. And I don't think he does. And yeah. and I think he knows that. Yeah. But how long can he keep the ruse up? That's the question. I don't know. Especially since he's only really doing this for her approval. Yeah. And and also for... I mean, he's doing it for everyone's approval but his own. Uh-huh. Uh, so Mike's at Stacy's house, and he's playing with Kaylee. And when he's done with that, Stacy tells him, I heard gunshots getting closer to the house both of the past two nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike offers to stay at the house overnight, but she refuses to let him. Mm-hmm. Uh, great line by Jonathan Banks here when she says, you know, I just didn't want you to be worrying. I just don't want you to worry. I'm, I'm not the worrying kind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Why worry? I can just break the legs of whatever's worrying me, and then I don't worry anymore. It's true. Hard, it's true. hard to cause trouble with two broken legs. <laughs> So uh, Jimmy's mapping the return on their mailer campaign with his assistant, and the results are terrible. Yeah. He he runs out to the lobby, catches Cliff on his way out, tells him the bad news. Uh, But Jimmy has a theory that the Sandpiper people are throwing the mailers out, which is causing this. Um, He suggests that they run a commercial during Murder, She Wrote instead of doing the mailers. Cliff says, look, I'm open to it, but we'll talk next week. Okay, there's a couple. There's a couple. There's a couple things to talk about here. Okay, do you want to do just a chit chat, or do you want to get to my pondering? Ponder. Okay. So this this the title of this episode is is yellow in English. Well, I guess it's a it's a Texas town, but it's uh, Amarillo is 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 no, what what Amarillo? That's What's what I'm saying. That? The, the 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 word the oh, Spanish word okay. is yellow. Right. Right. And he talks about it being canary yellow. And 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 he expresses there's this dangling chad of a 
piece of dialogue here where he's like, look, these guys are fucking with our mail. And Cliff says, yeah, that would be dynamite if we can prove it. Move on. Are you familiar with the term a canary trap? Yeah. So that's where like a spy agency will use subtle variations in the wording of, of written documentation mm-hmm. that all that, that or different that convey different information to try to trap and find out who is the leak inside of an organization. Right. I started thinking, what if this is foreshadowing for Jimmy having some kind of idea to send multiple different writing campaigns, some that have nothing to do with the firm? Uh-huh. Uh, maybe they're nail salon solicitations, for example, and some and and you could statistically say that we got zero response from this, we got X amount of response for this. Therefore, this pattern, and, and they can do. Where, you could also send it to Sandpiper and then all the other nursing homes, and you can do the difference. And if if you could prove that over like twelve different locations right. versus a control group of fifty, and you can show a clear percentage difference, I wonder if that would be proof, and if that's something yeah, that so. is going to eventually. If, if this this canary trap theory is going to, to to come into play, and it feels like it wouldn't require the manpower that Cliff implies. No, right? I mean it would it would require some, an intern to count responses, yeah, yeah. Uh, and put them into a spreadsheet and, and draft up the different versions of it. It'd be pretty pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think you could do it without even different versions, right? You could just yeah, yeah, like you said, send it off to control group, send it off to Sandpiper, check the difference. So that's, no, I th- a, that's a good idea. So that's that's one thing I was thinking. If 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 the, all this kind of things are going to connect somehow together, but I do love Jimmy's idea. I mean, this TV commercial is very very smart. I think this is a much more debatable thing. So in okay. Jimmy's head, uh, Cliff does not say. Cliff has said, "This is your department. This is your job. It's it's right. up to you to find a new approach." Mm-hmm. And he says, we'll talk next week. He doesn't say, we'll talk about this more next week. He doesn't say, okay. ask me again next week. I'm, I'm In leaving general, for, I'm open to I'm, it. I'm leaving for the... Yeah, it's like, you know, we did this a few years ago. I'm, it's, it's not my go-to, but I'm open to it. Uh-huh. You could interpret that as, go ahead and try the waters. Right. I think you have to be prepared for, you know, anytime you kick a tiger in the ass, you have to be prepared for the deal with its teeth, you know? Sure. That's the easy end. So what do you think about the ethics of what Jimmy's doing here? Uh, I don't think there's... Wait, wait. When you say ethics, do you mean as it relates to the law? I'm talking about this, this an like, employee-employer relationship. Oh, okay. Is he uh, justified? Is, is I think he is. I mean, the, Justified the, in his own mind or justified in fact? I think he's justified in fact, frankly. They told him, look, this is your department. And and every single thing. So yeah, they yeah, make yeah, a big deal sure. about about, you know, was my was my firm's name on the thing, I assume? And he's like, "Yeah." And Cliff seems to be angry about that. His firm's name is on every document sure. that goes out of Jimmy's office. Yep. I mean, if he had to get approval for every single thing he sent with Davis and Main logo on it, that's all he'd be doing. I agree. Having said that, if I'm Cliff, I'm furious. Right. Because Right. I don't fault Cliff for being angry. You're right. A person could interpret that, but I don't I think Jimmy's smart enough that he he knew that he shouldn't interpret that way and he just chose to go with the beg forgiveness rather than ask for permission. I think you're right, but why he, he also, does that is an interesting question. He was also told this is your department. I, I get it. We're gonna leave it to you. No do I, your thing. Sure. Yeah, there's so, definitely wiggle room in there. I'm just saying that Jimmy, especially as construed in the episode, he knew what he was doing 
had a very strong chance of blowing up in his face. I, I agree. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. Like you know, if I was Cliff, I wouldn't. I wouldn't see him sweating and mugging and spending five minutes making a decision about whether talking to me or not. Uh-huh. So maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but I don't know. How, and I'm also very curious in how this in, ends up because it doesn't seem to Cliff that the ends justify the means. Um, right. Having said that, I thought the commercial was great. I did too. Yeah, I mean, everyone has seen the really bad. Everyone has seen commercials like this, the one yeah. that Jimmy produces. Everyone has seen the one like the one he watched, the Davis and Maine commercial from old, uh, which is just a wall of text with a voiceover reading it. Yep, uh, those are terrible commercials. I feel like the old lady in the rocket chair is better. Sure, uh, that's why it works so well because everyone has seen those commercials. But what I mean by as I think it's also just forthright and something that the law firm could be proud of. It's not yeah. sleazy. Right, there's a little emotional manipulation, but not uh, sleazy. Like Titanic has emotional right. manipulation, I wouldn't call right. it sleazy. Okay. So, I mean, if you think of the audience, it doesn't make it's, any promises always... that you that that I I, I mean, That's I don't true. know. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a marketer. I'm just saying that I've seen worse types of these commercials, you know. This is the the total non-marketer in me. This is why I'm terrible at it. When I see a commercial like that, mm-hmm. uh I really realize that they're trying to sell me something, and that in itself feels sleazy to me. Emotional manipulation for the purpose of trying to get me to do something specific is is offensive to me in some yeah, ways. Yeah, I guess if – but that's the thing. You're trying to get them to purchase something. This is uh, – we're trying to represent you in a wrong. Right. Like you might agree, but also – It's different. Yeah. Yeah, you're it's it's for your own reward, not theirs, I guess. Yeah. But I also like how you can see the seeds of Saul being planted. Sure. In these commercials, right? Like this He's is maybe for... his finest commercial. That's the thing. Like, wh- what they're if... downhill from here, but yeah, because he's he's no longer appealing to senior citizens. He's trying to save. He's trying to appeal to party yeah. girls and party guys who had a little bit too much to drink and <laughs> right went to the strip club. Or yeah, to Jesse and his buds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, Jim, Jimmy, and a couple of uh, film students show up at the Alpine Shepherd Boys' house to film a commercial. He tries to get the students on board with his vision, which doesn't appear to be a simple task. Shout out to the Alpine Shepherd Boy. Yeah, I don't remember the lady's name, so I just call it the Alpine Shepherd sure. Boys' house because he lives there too. Right. So yeah. <laughs> he's very valuable, apparently. Uh, Mike sits in his car. Did you want to talk anything else? Hell yeah, about I this? do. Okay, I figured. Is this guy a blatant J.J. Abrams spoof? <laughs> now he looks a little like. Here's him, the thing: yeah. Vince Gilligan mentioned in the Insider podcast that this is a reference to a specific person he went to film school who he called a giant stick in the mud <laughs> kind of negative man. Oh, like he never wanted to go along with anything, and he's always like, "Oh, your idea sucks," and this is like. But he looks like a young J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. like astonishingly so. Yeah, I don't know if J.J. Abrams and Gilligan went to film school together. It doesn't uh, feel like they're. I feel like Abrams is a bit younger, but I don't I know. Think so. Like Villigan, the Villigan's not that old either. Right. Um, and I can't imagine Abrams being a stick in the mug type type of guy. Yeah, but I wonder if it's not if it's the, a visual gag of like this is funny because it looks like J.J. Abrams, and also we're going to pair him with his turd from film school. Yeah, it seems like uh, one of them is definitely on board, one of them is not. Like, the other guy, when he hears about the lucre, like the Wells and the Bergmans, and he's like, it's a very lucrative way to get your career right. started. The guy, right. other guy's like, yeah, yeah. 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 
but the the guy the Abrams like is not having any. Of Michael it. Bay got started, got milk, man. Went from right? got milk to the Rock. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's true. So did I also looked up this VX two thousand. The camera, yeah. Yeah, which was like in 2001, I guess it was the king shit of prosumer level camcorder equipment. All right. Like it wasn't, it was something that the pros would be like poo poo on, but like if you yeah. were a film, it's probably something that's like, oh, it's just attainable and it's got awesome professional gear capabilities. And that I thought works. it was interesting. I bet I, I, that's probably something that Vince pulled out of his own personal history too. Yeah. Um, and then you got the reference to I'm ready for my close up, Mr. McGill. Of course, sure, of course, which has a sexual overtone or undertone to it. Does what? What are you talking about? In that movie, you, sun. So you are you? Whoa, I don't know what I'm talking about. Sunset Doesn't Boulevard, the kind of black I've never comedy seen it, but I murder always... mystery spoof mm. thing. Okay, I I don't know why, but I always assumed that there was some. Are you weird... getting like? Uh... Uh, no, Mrs. Not, Robinson and no, not like Basic Instinct or anything. Okay, like that's <laughs> so okay. Anyway, yeah. Um, oh, okay, maybe there's not. I yeah. assume that's why it was funny. But is it literally just funny because it's a line from something else? Well, it's like so in the in in the movie, this former like faded starlet, star, silent screen star, okay. has murdered her lover, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's gone on to this, and it's kind of farcical in nature. Uh, but when she's on the balcony and there's like all these police and reporters there because she's being arrested and she's so deluded that she thinks that her film career, like, you know, these people are here to like film her scene. Yeah. And she's walking down the staircase and giving this speech about how great it is to be back. And you're understanding she's about to go to jail. And then that's her final, you know, she turns to the, the real life director. Is it DeMille? Cecil B. DeMille or DeVille? I think it's DeMille. Uh, and she says, I'm ready for my close-up. And I thought it was interesting that Seppenwall pondered, like, did they... I mean, surely they didn't make him McGill just for that play on, because this right. is back and way back in this Breaking is, Bad. This is the other way around. Yeah. They realized we've got a McGill. And we've got an old like lady De- coming down DeMille. a staircase on a rascal or whatever the hell uh-huh. that, that thing is. Wouldn't and it be funny? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, Mike's sitting in the car across the street from Stacy's house, eating a pimento sandwich, most likely. Uh, no- oh, it's pimento, all right. Right. <laughs> Nothing happens during the entire night except for the newspaper delivery car driving by. Which this sounds kind of like gunshots. Very muted gunshots. Mm-hmm. Like you'd have to really mistake. I mean, you'd have to really be listening, and Stacy might be on edge and That's a, listening. But, but Mike, and, it, it like, fooled Mike a bit. That's what I'm a saying. Bit, yeah. Like, so if it fooled Mike, I could see where it fooled Stacy. Right. Uh, anyway, so the, the the nothing else happens in the morning during work. Stacy calls him. Uh, he shows up at her house, and she shows him this bullet hole in the wall and says it happened at like two thirty in the morning. I would hate to give Mike the wrong order and drive through on this day, though. He is so goddamn tired. No, no, no. I mean, you've you've seen Jonathan Banks' face, right? Mm-hmm. Like none, the entire Mantrout family has not slept since 1975. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> Mike hasn't slept since I don't know. Maybe Ice Station Zebra came out. <laughs> I, it's, I haven't. He's just about in that a way. constant state okay. of because. If you think about it, all he does is sit in this toll booth and go on stakeouts. Sure, he never has time to sleep. Sure. I've never seen him sleep. 
Sure. He'll I'm sleep just, when he's dead. I'm just saying that the performance he gave when he first sat down in the toll booth or the... the it is good, yeah. It, it's like, this seems like a good day for him to kick your ass. Right. So, best day out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just get the impression that he doesn't sleep. This thing with Stacy in the bullet hole, uh, is she paranoid because of her husband's violent death? Yes, I think so. Is she... On a drug. Potentially. Is she suffering from a mental illness? These are all three separate, right. and they, there could be shades of all of them. Yeah, and I think a, a PTSD type thing is a mental illness and is also related to her husband's death. Well, I mean, there's like garden variety paranoia in. that everyone gets from time to time. Sure. There's paranoia bar- brought on by drug abuse, and then mm. there's also the PTSD, which is not exactly paranoia. It's more of a sympathetic nervous response that you get because you've been conditioned to feel this way with certain stimulus so yeah there's a fourth possibility that Seppenwall floated and seemed pretty confident in which i am not on board at all i don't know what you think about it this is that stacy is manipulating mike to get a better house get out of here i see he's already given her packets of money every week i see nothing in their relationship that would suggest that she would do something like this no no Sorry, Seven okay. Wall. You've lost a thread. Yeah, like every, the everybody's got their their crazy theories. Everyone's why I've been guilty of them myself. Yeah, uh, I've got some really crazy theories in my day, uh, and you're right. Mister Dead Man's Brew. So, yep, I'm not. We're, we understand, but I I just can't get down with that. No, I'm not seeing it. Uh, the drug thing, though, my maybe, maybe she's a nurse or just psychological trauma. I mean. There's that, too. But I'm thinking, like, what's the quintessential thing about a Breaking Bad drama? Mm-hmm. And there is this connection to drugs. And what would get Mike into a world of drugs? And if his uh, you know, daughter-in-law has got addicted to p- prescription painkillers as a way to deal with the trauma of life, that is kind of an interesting springboard into that particular... Like, I'm not sure. It's like, I don't know. I can't connect all the dots from that to, oh, I'm going to be the bodyguard of a meth dealer. Or I'm going to be the cleaner for a meth dealer. Right. But I think it's an interesting possibility. And she is acting... I mean, you know, people with PTSD or whatever can act in this way, too. But there's a little bit something manic in her performance as well. Can I float an insane theory? Please. You mentioned painkillers. Uh-huh. We know that Price is selling Oxy to Nacho. Think there's any way Stacy is connected to Nacho? Because not Nacho direct, comes back, not this directly, episode. but that right. would be an interest. And, and I, again, I don't know how all the dots connect, but that's another sure. dot. That would okay. be another dot. I'm just, okay. I'm I'm not floating a theory. I'm floating a dot. Sure. In a larger theory that I haven't made up yet. Yeah. This this sea can float <laughs> a lot of dots. It turns out. Yeah, and I and I risk you know go going to the the Seppenwall well there. Uh, <laughs> well, too, but that's the thing. Like I, that, that at least we have some evidence that can like the Seppenwall just seems like it's a gut feeling he had, and I'm not sure why he had it. Right, maybe he but just I don't... doesn't like because there was a little animosity between him and Stacy. But yeah, I thought it was understanding, and I thought that beef got quashed last season. I thought so too, like pretty emphatically. Mm-hmm. So the confession from Mike, I would feel a lot worse about Stacy as a character if this is what she's trying to pull. Heartless. Yeah, they, they broke his boy. Yeah. He, he broke his boy. Sure. Uh, anyway, I I don't know what else to say about that, but uh, I'm going to move on to Kim. Uh. She ins- she's inspecting uh, Jimmy's corporate housing. Big as- bowl of balls. Big bowl of balls, empty vases. It's all a metaphor. Uh, as they prepare to watch the commercial that he's that Jimmy's produced, 
Uh, when she sees it, she's super happy and she's proud of Jimmy. Can't, can't believe he made this thing. It looks so good. Uh, but she also states that she's surprised Cliff approved the commercial, which we know he hasn't. Do you? So before I talk about that, I've noticed a tendency for Vince and company, Gould and company, uh, and Odenkirk and company, because he seems like he's a pretty big part of this process too, to go into like Seinfeld light mode. Like they they indulge in a lot of observational early two thousands comedy, right? Like this this whole riff on them talking about the apartment yeah. is just essentially, yeah. You know, we all that's a fur, that's that's furnished apartment life. Right. Um, I've never done. Have you ever done a furnished apartment? No, but do you remember the Brent? Sure. Corbin's that he like when he got divorced, he lived out of a furnished apartment for years, and it was exactly like this. I mean, I guess if you just don't want to bother with decorating and you got the money, it's like it's like a hotel suite furniture, right? But I just think, what do you? I don't know how successful they are at this too. It's it's. I mean, I know that it's they got Bob Odenkirk and they wanted to be funny, but this stuff comes more across droll than hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a yeah, ten, like it's, I it's said, a, it's a well that they seem to go to when in doubt. They 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 just Seinfeld it up. Okay, I mean, I I haven't noticed that specifically, but you could definitely be right about that. I did like how they mixed the sound, like they made sure they left the echo in because that's that's the oh. one defining. Like our apartments, because uh-huh. you know you don't have anything hanging on your walls. You're a guy, right? I have a couple pictures, and yeah, some... we painted the apartment or we've painted the studio. That's it. But everything else yeah. is just bare white walls, and it's echoey. Yeah, like it would be yeah. in a furnished furnished apartment. I have a giant ass uh, IKEA thing, which is like totally corporate housing sure. style stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, they just sure. go to IKEA, they get the mass produced mm-hmm. art, and mm-hmm. stick it up on the wall. Yep. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. So maybe I am living in corporate. This is uh, we are sitting. <laughs> we are sitting in the amazingly five hundred dollar IKEA studio. After it's all, it's true. Uh, what were, what are we going here? I don't oh. know. I didn't think the scene was particularly funny. The bucket of balls wasn't doing it for me. Uh, no, I did like everything else about it. Like Jimmy, I love. Yeah. I thought what was genuinely funny is Jimmy's direction to Kim. Like, imagine you're a senior citizen living in a nursing home and you're about to sit down to your yeah, that was good. Angela Lansbury, and that was like really good. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, and they've left a, a what is it? A something Graham? Uh, what what does he call the thing that they left behind to say, "Hey, I was here"? That the killers leave? Oh, yeah, I forget. Fuck. A monogram, something or other. Uh, something. But yeah. yeah, it's it's the it's I thought the it was first, a good setup. It's the first commercial cliffhanger, mm-hmm. and it, it's the commercial. I thought was really really good for the kind of commercial it was. Oh yeah. And his mouthing of the words to the script, even the phone number, I thought was a nice touch. Like, you know, right. this is, he's hanging on all of his words. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it looks professional. And this, I if I was Cliff and I saw this, I, I would have absolutely approved it. All right. Uh, I, I would, too. And he may still, but he's very angry about it at the moment. Uh, on Monday, Jimmy prepares to show the ad to Cliff, but decides not to. Instead, he calls up a TV station in Colorado Springs to buy some ad time, uh, and sends off the tape. Why doesn't he? So, this does he really think Cliff's going to say no, or does he is is he a, a adrenaline junkie and and breaking the rules is just something that gets him off? I mean, it might be that because th- this be scene that tells us that he it. knew he should have. If, yeah. if we didn't yeah. have this scene of him sweating it, mm-hmm. I could say like, "Oh, well, you know, uh, that's just Jimmy being Jimmy, and you hired him, and you got to know." But this this shows that 
there is something malicious to it. Here's the thing. He's already implied to Kim that Cliff approved it. So now if he yes. goes to Cliff and Cliff says no, he's got to tell – Kim will know that he he lied to her. Well, yeah. I mean, Jimmy, that's the other thing is Jimmy's making a bad habit of lying to Kim a right. lot. And coming off the back of the pie thing last episode where she just doesn't want to know about this stuff and she doesn't – like he's already on thin ice with Kim and I feel like he's – so Very worried that, that is... Cliff turns it down and because because now he can say, yeah, I ran the commercial. But here's the thing. If he runs this commercial and Cliff gets angry and doesn't approve of it, Kim's going to find out about that, too. Right. But I mean, the percentage, I guess, is if since it was a hit and he goes in there and smooth talks Clint and the, or Cliff and the board. Right. Then he can keep the fiction alive, which whereas if he comes clean now, I mean, that's the thing, like. If if at each step, like when he said he implied that it was approved, mm-hmm. you know, he could come home the next day after he actually does run it by Cliff. And if he denies it, he could. But you know what? Uh, I, I'm blown away because Cliff changed his mind, did a 180 on this whole deal. Yeah. She's not going to check up on that. And she could be like, oh, that's I can't believe it. This was an excellent commercial. I'm, you know, I'm really surprised he said no. So there, he could have recovered with a minor, a smaller lie. Yeah. It's risky, and I, I do think that's the pressure on him right now. Yeah, is is trying to n- not necessarily impress Kim, but but yeah. keep Kim in the dark about the things he's doing. I feel like you know that phenomenon with like people that are too close to like just the right distance from a nuclear bomb going off. It's like there's there's some people that are killed outright. Uh, there's okay. there's some people that are going to recover, but there's other people that like they're in the walk. They call them like the Walking Dead phase. Where you've, right. you've you've had a lethal dose of radiation, yeah. but it's going to take three to four days for your cells to die, and mm. you're you're going to be fine until you're not. Yeah. I feel like that's his. They're really ever since she said, "Don't tell me these these unsavory things about you," yeah. and maybe that's why he's starting to do all these white lies because to him, this is all. Well, she doesn't want to hear about the solicitation stuff. She doesn't want to hear about my. You know, that's true. Yeah, I think it's bullshit. But again, like. Even though it's really sweet to see her like putting her head on his shoulder and them snuggling on the couch, it feels like they're the Walking Dead of relationships here. No, I'm totally with you. I don't think this thing can last, especially not into the Better Call Saul days of of Breaking Bad. No, well, but on the other hand, uh, this Ice Station Zebra implies, you know, retroact, you know, like this is the strip mining of the future to provide <laughs> context for the past. It's the mm-hmm. it's the switcheroo version. That tells us a lot about the impact Kim had on his life, yeah? Yeah, no, definitely. His, if his holding company for his illegal enterprise is based on a movie that they shared as a couple. Yeah. No, it's it's also... It, I also get the impression that he's kind of not sure where the limits are in this relationship anymore. Yeah. Um, what can I tell her? What can't I? And that's the little white lies you're talking about coming in. Sure. Uh and things are changing for them, and he's, I think, is worried about that. Yeah. And he kind of wants to preserve that, even though he's... I, I do feel like the main reason he does the commercial with kind of without the go-ahead is because he thinks that, look, I'll impress the shit. I'm, I'm slipping Jimmy. I can go in, and I can impress the shit out of him with my work because I'm confident in myself. And then if they're not that impressed, I can talk my way out of it. There is a little bit of altruism to this, too, because I think yeah. that Jimmy does buy into the mission. Right. You know, like when he defended it for the first time, we didn't really talk about that, but he says, uh, well, maybe I still listen, maybe I didn't. All I know is there's 24 uh, elderly people who are being taken advantage of by a big corporation who now have legal representation and in, right. are entitled to to relief. 
Like yeah. it's like a social justice crusade. Yep. So I do think that there is that streak in Jimmy uh, that, you know, the ends do justify or the means do just ends justify the means for him. There is absolutely. And I think the brilliance of the writing here is the way that they portray that because mm-hmm. his knowledge about these elderly people in these homes, knowing that they every single day they watch Murder, She Wrote, uh, here's where we're going to get our in. That comes from sitting with these people and talking with them and being uh, attentive to what they do and their needs, right? I mean, he does have an actual relationship with these people, and they all love him. And I think that that economy of writing where they just like kind of imply that he's got this relationship, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think that works really well. Like, they're showing a lot about Jimmy oh, and yeah, his motivations just through kind of ancillary details. Yeah. Were you surprised at how outraged Cliff's reaction was? Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I didn't know that he could get, you know, like he hit 11 on the rage meter. Right. Uh, <laughs> Put down the guitar and he started screaming. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I thought that was really cool. Uh-huh. But I I remembered, like, oh, he's going to catch some hell for this. But I didn't know he's going to catch this kind of hell. Yeah. Like, called on the carpet, you're fighting for your career tomorrow. Uh, which, you know, again, I can't imagine they're going to fire him over this. I don't, I think it's a little too early for that. If they do, um, I feel like I'm kind of more on Jimmy's side than theirs. Yeah. Because, yeah, maybe he did something, but, you know, do you want, uh, I don't know. It's it's what do you do with a Maverick? You pair him up with a goose and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike asks. Uh, Mike's at the vet's <laughs> office, and he asks about any jobs that he might have for him. And he's got one, but it's just a bodyguard job for two hundred bucks. Uh, there's nothing else except for some leg breaking work for this loan shark that that Mike refuses to do. So he takes the bodyguard job instead. Yeah, uh, just showing that you know Mike's reluctance to get into he's more got, serious shit. He he's got ethics. People. He's got yeah. his own set of ethics and moral code, and the question is what, you know, what, how, why does he compromise that? How does he go right. from this guy, the ex-cop who definitely was a little dirty, he's definitely dingy, to the guy working for Gus Fring? Yeah. And now, I mean, you know, maybe it's Gus, it's all about Gus Fring. Like, he was seduced by this guy who is his ideal, quote-unquote, criminal. Uh-huh. But, you know, it sounds like he's going to have to kill somebody. That's how's it, how's that going to work out? Good question. Uh, Jimmy's pacing around his office just before the ad is ready to air. Uh, they've set up all the phones to accept a ton of incoming calls um, on this this line, and at the same time it should air. No calls come in. Jimmy's Jimmy's beginning to worry. Mm-hmm. And then a couple minutes pass, and all of a sudden he you know he does his finger thing on the phone, <laughs> which never works. He should stop doing that. It's never worked for him in his life. Uh, but then all the lines start to light up shortly after that, and his ad worked. Congratulations, Jimmy. Uh, so some people on Reddit, and I actually called the number this morning. They, they've they've gone and they've called this number and they've recorded the I'm message. pissed because we called that like seconds after it aired, and it, it was a disconnected number. Ah, uh, they must not have had it Or it was, it was overwhelmed. It was overwhelmed. Maybe so. Maybe so. But yeah. I called it this morning, and okay. I got the exact same message that the people on Reddit did. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play that message for you. Okay. This call may be monitored for quality assurance. Your use of this service does not constitute attorney-client privilege. 
Thank you for calling the Law Offices of Davis and Maine for your free class action consultation. If you or a loved one is a resident of a Sandpiper Crossing assisted living facility, you may be eligible for monetary compensation. Please leave your name, number, and your state of residence, and your call will be returned within 24 hours. So that's what it sounds like uh, when you call. I th- Did you leave your name, number, and... I tried to leave my name and number. Uh-huh. I started talking as soon as that beep went off at the end, uh-huh. and it just hung up. Oh. Because I was it thinking, like, actually maybe record it would be cool if you... Uh, I know. I was hoping, like, maybe I'd get on a list and some like, they My first thought was, how or... pissed would Jimmy be that you got sent to an automated system? Because, oh, you know, no. the, that's the kiss of death when it comes to senior citizens. Right. Literally, they have a heart attack and die. Yeah, it just hangs up on you. It kind of sucks <laughs> that I can't can't actually leave i think they should have at least let you leave they usually did like i remember Although the voicemail would probably fill up immediately mm, with a million probably two million people calling in. yeah all right well that makes me feel better because i was disappointed when we called and it was just a deadline yeah i mean you know the villa gang has a, a history of making these numbers actually go somewhere and play they something do. they do uh, so i was pleased that it did something it wasn't funny or anything no. it was just kind of what you would expect if yeah. you called one of those numbers yep uh but good stuff so Stacy and Kaylee are staying at Mike's house. And Wait, Mike... no, 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 no. Are you sure? Because I think Mike's staying at Stacy's house. No, no, no. He said, we're going to get you out of this house for sure. But, and she's like, okay. But her kid has got all, I mean, so that they she brought, brought that lamp, the colored yeah. lamp yeah. and all of her blankets and stuff. Right. Hmm. Uh, That's the impression I got. I thought that they were staying at her and it's just Mike, she, she relented that Mike was staying. I don't know. He said, we're going to get you out of this house tonight or now. Oh, well, I thought that that was implied, like, we need to get you out real soon, or we're going to get you a new place, but honestly, the first time I watched, I I thought they're at Mike's house, but then I looked and see, like, man, they got that lamp and the blankets, and it seems like the bedding is also kid stuff, so... So they're sleeping in Kaylee's room? All of them are sleeping in Kaylee's room? No, like, a mom would sleep with her child if she feels like there's mortal danger, you know... But it also... Right, but Mike is sleeping, like, right next to him, isn't he? No, he's on a couch, a fold-out couch, it looks like. Do they cut to that or do they yes. pan to that? No, they cut to it. I don't okay. think he's sleeping with Stacy and Kylie. I thought they panned to it. I thought they were all kind of sleeping in his living room together, mm. like in a pullout and maybe a recliner. I don't. It could. It's it's unclear. I just the, okay. the, the thing that persuaded me that it ultimately. wasn't was the fact that she had all that stuff there, and I feel like on the first night you would just have like the bare necessities. Okay. Uh, maybe Kay- Kaylee won't sleep without her Winnie the Pooh <laughs> or whatever the hell that thing was. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was just for Kaylee's benefit. Can before we move to the phone call and move the plot yeah. along, uh Mike's not sleeping again. Again, Mike hasn't slept in 40 years. So, I remember having with the way Mike ends up with Kaylee. I remember having kind of a problem with the way that 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 played out. Uh-huh. And I feel like the more they established a the backstory between them, the less and less likely him abandoning her in that playground would be. Okay. And I'm, like, I'm you, are you worried that like they are doing damage to a pretty major something that was already kind of a big bone of contention? Like, I don't know if it's consistent with, but man, maybe in the end he is a mercenary. Yeah. It, it, the more I get to know Mike from Better Call Saul, the le- the more that scene starts smelling like bullshit. So if they can do if they can do an arc where maybe you you start to question it and then you kind of understand later on, maybe they can bring it back around. If they implied those cops would have shot on sight. You know, like, if he thought that, like, he was protecting Kaylee by fucking off. But I don't think right. those cops, I think they're going to take him into custody. I think so, too. And, like, you know, maybe he did, but, like, 
I'm sure he didn't want Kaylee to see that, but maybe he could have been like, hey, I used to be a cop. I'm going to come easy. Just don't don't make this hard on my granddaughter. And I feel like the cops probably would have listened to Mike. Okay. I, I mean, I think if you want to hear all of our discussion, because we talk at But I'm saying new shit is coming this. to light every week, and that's becoming a weaker and weaker. Right, right, right. Let's, so let's focus on that. If, if you're saying, yeah, the, the arc of Mike is starting to blur those lines even more, yeah. I, I would kind of agree with you. Yeah. Uh, the more we see him interacting with Kaylee and showing love for his granddaughter, yeah. uh, the, the, the harder it gets to believe go to protect that. them. Like, yeah. saving his own skin? I don't, yeah. I don't know. No, it's uh, may, maybe a flaw. Maybe a flaw. Although, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, there's there's lots of ways I could go back and forth on it, but that that's kind of bugging me. So he gets a call from the vet who says he's got a job that's on the next level. Oh, yeah. And the guy specifically asked for Mike, which go, raises my eyebrow for sure. Uh, Mike asks who the guy is, and we cut. Don't get to find out. Uh, Jimmy and Kim are watching a Rock Hudson movie, and I think this is Ice Station Zebra, although there was some confusion in the dialogue for me. I was like... South Pole, North Pole, Ice Station Zebra, the thing. What? Vince Gilligan on the Insider talked extensively about okay. it being Ice Station Zebra, and they had the like, I guess all the actors, like all they got, the, everyone got paid for this licensing. Rock yeah, Hudson there was got the, paid for the, it. The, well, I mean, the ones that are still alive, his, or his, states or something. All the royalties got paid, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're yeah. talking about how you know residuals, sure, all that stuff. Uh, can you can you spell out the significance of ice ice station zebra to people who might not know? I think we've talked about it in this oh, podcast before. Well, so that was the that was a holding company that uh, uh better, that Saul Goodman asked Walt I think to make checks out to. Yeah. Or when it's Skyler, he's like, oh, it's just some kind of accounting thing. Make it out to Ice Station Zebra. Right. Uh, and which I remember we spent a lot of time pondering the significance of that and like, oh, what would this mean? What did how would this identify with Saul? It's just a reference to his main squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows if that will actually lead yeah. anywhere, like if that implies a deeper relationship with him and Kim uh, or an ongoing relationship, you know, uh, or maybe it's just something yeah, like... the one that got away or the one... I mean, we, who knows? We don't know. Like, if Or she maybe up... he, he names it that to remind him of how he lost Kim. Like, sure, you fucking idiot. Yep. You're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. Taste yep. it sort yep. of thing. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, who knows, but we'll, we'll see eventually. Uh, anything else you want to talk about here? Nope. Um, we kind of, he, he gets a, he gets a call from Cliff who, who's irate about this commercial. Which we he tries about, to play yeah. it off. Yeah. Um, and he says, oh, we'll see you tomorrow morning with the partners meeting. They want to see this ad. You think they'll be impressed? I, think I, be impressed. I don't think there's anything now. I, you know, again, I, I don't understand how he views showmanship. It seems like they so far yeah. been impressed with his quote unquote showmanship, uh-huh. and to me, this seems like an ethical ad. But yeah. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't star in This Is Spinal Tap. I don't, I don't have a whole, uh, you know, handle on Ed Begley Jr. and and Cliff here. I don't know. I mean. I I can't imagine firing someone for this just because they didn't ask permission. Now, censuring them, saying, if you ever do this again, you son of a bitch, and then as soon as you throw them out yeah. of the office, you and your partners like light cigars and be like, eh, glad we got him on the team. But <laughs> I can't imagine him getting fired for this. Yeah. The success alone. Unless it's just like, again, if, if, if we have some attorneys that say, like, this is just beyond the pale levels of bullshit in which case but i've seen this on tv i've seen sure. this ad you know? yeah this type of ad so yeah. there's no way this is illegal yeah. uh otherwise keller and keller slammer and slammer is their new name 
<laughs> they're going away. I mean, there could be, I don't know, there could be some ways they can, because it does seem like a lot of these, you know, Meslomaya commercials or transvaginal mesh, if you or anyone you loved has had transvaginal mesh, right. which like, whew, that's, 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 a me- that's a fucking metal, metal term. It is, yeah. I wouldn't want transvaginal mesh. That's, that's who opens for anal cunt, I think. Uh, <laughs> or or maybe uh, Metalocalypse, like yeah. opens for what's opening their for band? Death Clock. Transvaginal Death mesh. Yeah. Uh, I it seems like those are the go tos. Which I you know it's like I guess if you know you've got popcorn lung or meslomite or you've you've been Mesopilum, exposed to it's like yeah. that you don't need a flashy commercial. It's like oh yeah, I've got these doctor bills. I can get fucking paid. You don't need a guy yeah. in overalls coughing his lungs up and being like, oh, a company said I'd be taken care of, and now my lungs are shredded wheat, and what am I right. going to do? But have, it's a different audience. Have you been injured in a motorcycle accident? Yeah. Call, what's what's his name? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> There's another guy who, who like, portrays himself as this motorcyclist Ken lawyer. Kratz. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the two-wheel lawyer. Uh-huh. There's another guy, like, I think his name's not Burt Macklin, because that's the alter ego of Andy on Parks and Rec. Uh-huh. But it's, like, Ben Macklin or Burt Macklin, and he's wearing, like, uh, he's a fat dude, and he's wearing the boxing fatigues. Like, a boxing robe, and he's got the gloves, and it's like, he's the one that'll fight for you. Those are all over Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Yeah, hmm. great, great advertising. Because if I ever got in a drunk driving incident or personal injury, I would not know your name. Right. I'd be like, "Give me the fat guy in the boxing robes. <laughs> I want the guy to fight for me." I bet that's sure. enough to get the cops to give you the number, though. Probably, probably do. and you could search YouTube for it. I'm sure. sure. I mean, they have to fight him every day, right? He's 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 well known in the <laughs> halls of power, the corridors of power in Cincinnati. I'm sure. Uh, so we go to the final scene. Mike shows up at a warehouse to meet the guy who turns out to be Nacho. Nacho says there's another the guy who needs to go away, mm. and then the episode ends. It's a problem he can't solve himself. Question for you: Who's the guy? <sighs> who's the guy? Is it Price? Is it Price back again? I can't. I don't think is it's he talking. Is he talking to cops? Is he doing stupid shit? I don't think it's Price. Yeah, that would be pretty anticlimactic. It can't be. Honestly. It can't be Tuco, right? No, no way can it be Tuco. I mean, unless Mike doesn't get the job done, but I can't see that happening. There's no way he gets hired to kill Tuco or make him go away, whatever that means, and doesn't do it. Here's a theory I just came up with. Okay. This is how he meets Gus. Okay. We know that Gus has an antagonistic relationship with the Mexican cartel, Mm -hmm. whose chief representative is Tuco Salamanca. Uh, We know that Tuco could not take direct action against Gus. Like, Uh it's like, maybe it's like, this guy's muscling my territory, but he's got a tacit understanding with my Don. But I'm a hothead, so I'm going to have my underling check to see if we can have a third party take him out. And then it'd be like, oh, well, you know, it's the risks of, it's, it's the, risk of the trade. And do you think that this is going to be a hit on Gus and that Gus talks his way out of it or makes my, you know, do you want to work for these madmen or do you want to work for me? I still think it's too early for Gus. Well, what I'm saying is, is this is like I don't think literally he's going to show up next episode, but I feel like that this maybe is the way this thing is going to go, and that this is all something that might happen. Okay. In, in like with like imagine this going down three to four episodes to go, and then the season finale is maybe Mike killing uh, Nacho. Yeah, I think somewhere along the line Nacho's going to bite it because Nacho's not in Breaking Bad. Yeah, and that's why I say that. So uh, and Tuco, like maybe Tuco's like, well, uh, now I got Don Eladio wanting to know why I put a hit on. Uh, no, this is this guy. This is an asshole. So he has to whack him 
to to keep his own self, keep his own neck out of the news. I, there's yeah. something maybe there that's interesting. Maybe I, I think they could lean a little more toward Gus mm. right now, but I think if you go full on, like Mike's working for Gus at the end of this season, that's a little too much. Not working, but like imagine him owing him a favor. Okay. Like I said, I'm not sort of like opening a bit, like refusing to kill him and turning it around on the Salamanca gang. I could see him doing that mm-hmm. and trying to kind of play as neutral as he can. That I think would be interesting because you got to get like if, if Better Call Saul's got a three to four episode run, I, I feel like that if we don't see at the end of this run Mike with Gus, it will feel very disconnected from Breaking Bad. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like they're talking four or five seasons. Yeah. And I I think, honestly, I could do with two seasons of Mike running with Gus. So Same if, here. So if at the end of this, I guess he meets Gus, maybe? Yeah, like he's, he's he, again, it's it's not, I'm not saying he's getting a paycheck from him. I'm just saying the, the acquaintance is made and there's maybe been services exchanged that that relationship right. can kind of deeper in the next season and maybe the final season or two, he's actually working for him. Yeah. Or like, you know, it's like we talked about, we have the flash forward season where it's now after there'd be no Mike, there'd be no Gus, but right. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who this guy is. I don't think, I feel like they're implying that it's someone we should know. That's that. That's what leads me to, to the Gus angle. Right. But I but is it possible that we just don't like this is going to be another like Kettleman style thing where we just we don't know them yet and be we're Emilio? getting introduced? Maybe that'd be another person we would know. Maybe it can't be but Jesse. we know Mike doesn't take them out, right? Like it. No, no, no. So you, you would there would be some there would be something that would prevent. Like yeah, you know, I don't think I don't think JB. I don't think Mike kills whoever he's supposed to kill. Like, really? I don't think it's that simple. Hmm. Okay, because I. I view Mike as a guy who's going to get the job done. Well, but, you know, the way he sees his job is different. Like, you know. That's true. That's like, true. he was, supposed, he to pr- he was supposed to protect Price, but, you know, he shows up in the Hummer and he's a dumbass about it. And, well, okay, right. you're not paying me for that. Yeah. So, and he also did a couple other things freelance style. Like, he, I think he tipped off Walt when he didn't have to a few times. Mm-hmm. Um and then he, he when when he was there to do one thing, and he saw the Axe brothers moving in or the Axe cousins, he so he he can. I, I think he's smart enough to do what needs to be done for the greater good. Now, okay. the greater good's him, yeah. Kaylee, whatever who he's working for. I think he's he's got that flexibility to operate like that. Right. Okay. Uh, that's it for the episode. Hey, it's that time in the podcast which I do some kind of uh, solicitation. Oh man, is this legal? This is this is a pre this is an adversary, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this. This will make sense when you listen to our legal corner later on. I'm gonna uh, preface this by saying this is a solicitation for you to support independent podcasting. But we are not lawyers. But we are not lawyers. So it's legal. So it's an yeah. ethical There is no professional standard of conduct for <laughs> when pod this is cutthroat. It's true business man this is making sausage at its 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 grimiest uh and and we need your help we need your help because we're just trying to stay at the top of the vicious dog fight that we call podcasting here yep you can do so by joining the club club.baldmove.com 
it's a if you, if you sign up for a year, it's a buck a month. If you want to go month to month, it's two bucks a month. And what you get for that is the 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 warm fuzzy feeling that you've supported independent podcasters. You also get access to ad free feeds, so you don't have to listen to this bullshit anymore. Mm-hmm. You get uh, exclusive content like the lunch with Jim and Aaron and cocktails with Jim and Aaron or on the rocks with Jim and Aaron, as we like to call it. Yep. Uh, people club members are saying it's their their our, their favorite podcast that we do. Right, you can right. tune and into it live on. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut your shit it's, off. I was just gonna say it's now in podcast form. We were starting to release those as audio. Yeah, if you, if you got the time and the inclination, you can show up live on video and and ask us questions and participate. But we also take the resulting product and turn it into a podcast, so you can just listen to it and enjoy. Yeah, uh, we also have a, you know, VIP sections and the forums. We got new stuff like quit your pitching. Which is where we fictitiously and humorously we hope pitch ideas back and forth to each other for uh, fake TV shows, uh, all kinds of stuff coming out. Uh, we're p- currently play through, uh, playing through Life is Strange. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we're doing, a lot of club content, club.baldmove.com, and of course, amazon.baldmove.com. If you are buying your Coco Bolo desks, <laughs> please, yes. Please. <laughs> I imagine the markups on that are. Mm, yeah. it's good. It's the, be the good stuff. The affiliate cut there is pretty strong. That that would yeah that that would pay that would pay for a, a month of tuition right there by itself for my kid. Uh, <laughs> do it to amazon.baldmove.com. Takes you right to Amazon. You get all the same great uh, features. It's just that you're also supporting us. Uh, again, this was a solicitation for podcast support. Enjoy the rest of your podcast. Uh, feedback. Yes. Feedback. Feedback can be sent in at bettercastsaul, bettercastsaul at baldmove.com, or you can discuss uh, it with us on the forums at forums.baldmove.com. First up, Dan from Philly said, Hey, guys, always listen to the cast. Just want to let you know that Michael McKean is a very accomplished musician and songwriter. We know we talked about this a little bit last, like what to the extent of his abilities. Doesn't, doesn't he play guitar? Isn't he's not a pianist though? Is, but he does is, play the piano, I guess. Like, that that was him, playing. right? But that's like a guitarist saying, "I also play the drums." Like, yeah, you might, but are well, you really that good? Well, his wife Annette O'Toole is an Academy Award nominee for their song, their song, "A Mighty Wind." Okay, so cool. maybe like he is a a, 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 a virtuoso. I got uh, the impression he was not a pianist when I did research last episode. Okay, but he was a, an accomplished musician. Uh, mentions that they lost the Academy Award to fucking Annie Lennox, but what are you going to do? <laughs> sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. How are you going to compete with sweet dreams? Sweet dreams ain't made of these, I guess. There, okay. Michael. Her her sweet dreams are Annie Lennox's. True, true. Uh, Jason B. from Jersey. Uh, he's he's emailing here. Uh, he says, do you think the season will have any mention of the laser tag business or the owner of Danny? He speculates, what if this Daniel Price ends up becoming Danny... Would that be too coincidental? This is great. This is perfect. He is exactly the guy who he would own a, a laser fucking tag. Danny. He would take his fucking oxy money and he would buy a laser tag arena and it would go into the shitter. And he would have to continue to do these front operations. Yes. Totally. I That's love the this Danny. idea. I love this idea. Yeah. And kudos for you, Jason B, for, for making that connection. And shame on us for not connecting Danny and Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. You need a Danny. We didn't. We we need, we need a we need a Jason B from Jersey apparently. <laughs> uh, also, he wants a refresher. How does Mike know Nacho and Tuco again? 
the, my, the way I understood it is when he first took on the job of Daniel, he looked yep. underneath the, the he checked out Nacho and looked for dirt under his fingernails, which led him to Tuco and all that stuff through his sources, wherever and he gets that. Exactly. And I like that they're leaving his sources nebulous. Like, yeah. Like he, I, he has this history with the cops. He could be getting information from them. Like, I absolutely believe he can get this information. I don't. I mean, if they show me, yeah. that would be a bonus. But I don't need to see it to believe that Mike can to. do it. I've seen Mike do enough. Right. And I love how when Nacho asks him, like, oh, how'd you find that out? And he's like, huh. Yeah, right. He doesn't even respond. He just like, laughs. Like, oh, you think that's hard, do you? Uh-huh. Like, please. Yeah, yeah no, good it's, it's, it's good. Uh, Dr. Barry C., our old pal, mm-hmm. former proprietor of uh, Madrigal Electromotive. Yep. Uh, probably current proprietor. Probably, like, yeah. I don't think he's given that up. That'd nice guy. We had a couple beers with him once upon a time. Yeah. Uh, didn't hit me until uh, he, he's, he's he's talking about um, this law firm McGill. Uh, it's Hamlin, Hamlin, McGill. Yeah, implying two Hamlins. Right, and he says, "Are oh, we missing a Hamlin here?" And he speculates, perhaps there's an older brother to Howard, and it parallels the Chuck and Jimmy relationship. Howard going to a third tier law school, while his brother went to a top tier one. This sets up the Chuck Howard relationship by default. Howard might be quite chafed by Chuck's treatment of Jimmy, which is why he tries to stick up a bit to Chuck, along with why he advised Jimmy to find his own identity. Howard may have wished he followed the Jimmy pathway instead of marching in step. In the future, Howard might be the one encouraging Jimmy to not follow the corporate path and even the de- uh, leads to the development of Saul. Perhaps the current condition of Chuck is related to the unseen Hamlin, a drunk driving episode involving Chuck, a shady client taking out Hamlin. These are very interesting questions. They're mm-hmm. they're begging us to ask about the second Hamlin that's on the building and we've never met before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking specifically, and they're also begging to, for us to ask why did Chuck develop this weird disease? Yeah, and speaking like specifically to the idea of of Hamlin, the one we know, Harry, uh, being kind of subservient to Chuck, being almost his underling. Uh, there's a, a small hint of that in this episode too, where they're in that meeting and Hamlin goes to speak up mm-hmm. and Chuck holds up his hand. Yeah. Like that's, that's a very, like I get, he wants to say something there, but that motion is a very dismissive thing. And I felt like that. And Jimmy does it later too, as a sister. Sure. So that shows you kind of the relationship that that gesture implies. And I think also that Howard was going to like kind of be like, "Come on, Chuck, what the fuck?" with this this talk about solicitation. But then he like bites his tongue and says, "Well, Jimmy, can you clear this up for us?" Yeah, but yeah. There is they they are they are laying those track pretty subtly, pretty but, well. I'm curious about the other Hamlin, the the elusive other Hamlin. Uh, Shep wants. Can, to- can I just say before we move on from from uh, Barry's sure stuff here? I went to MagicalElectromotive.com, dot com, mm-hmm. and he's got. It's clear to me that he no longer wants to uh, support this site. And so he put up what what is pretty funny here. This domain name has been... Uh, no, the domain name associated with this website, Magical Electromotive, has been seized pursuant to an order issued by a U.S. district court. A grand jury has indi- indicted several individuals and entities allegedly involved in the operation <laughs> of MagicalElectromotive.com and related companies charging them with the following state and federal crimes... Possession of a controlled substance with intent to manufacture, import, export, distribute, and dispense. Drug product salvaging, a, a, a slew of other ones. That's got like the DEA seal on it or whatever. It, yep, yeah, yep. I, Department I of Justice. Right, I think he put that up like after Gus got blown up. Right, right. 
So nice good, touch. good stuff. That's, can, that's a good way to sunset your website. Yeah, you know? and if I recall correctly, you can drill through that to the old site too. Like, isn't there like uh, something at the bottom? Like, oh, I can click on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, well played, right. well played, Doc. Uh, Shep wrote in and said, "I hate to criticize Saw because I love it so much." As a former collector, the whole thing with the baseball cards that Jim got into was so frustrating. Yep. I could buy that Nacho and or his thugs ditched the top loaders, screw downs, etc. and just randomly start inserting the cards into boxes. But each one of those boxes contains thousands of cards. Unless they just happen to keep all the money cards together and shove them into a row in one of the boxes, it's highly unlikely Price would find them so quickly. If nothing else, yeah. they should have inserted a dissolve to indicate the passage of time. Sure. I mean... So is there on an the implication hand, that he knows where to look? On the one the hand, does like the dissolve? I think solves the problem of what do you how how do you show to the audience this is taking a long time? But mm-hmm. I don't think Mike and Nacho put up with that shit. Like they're not right, going to wait right. for an hour for him to catalog and make sure everything's gone. They always wait for him to count his money, which I even felt was a little bit. They were indulgent. They're in no yeah. mood to indulgent because you know they're a rube and they're taking advantage of him. So mm-hmm. I think that. I think it's just a production error. I'm trying to give right. them the benefit I think of the so doubt too. and explain it, but so so if you're going with that idea that Mike and Nacho would not tolerate him mm-hmm. browsing through every card, uh, that implies that he knows where to look in those boxes for those specific cards, sure. and that he keeps them in those boxes. Yes, which that's is the insane. Which contradicts my my yeah. fan theory that that was Nacho's doing, right? And I think that, like, maybe this is the way they tried to round that square corner, like, take the edge off by trying to... Yeah. You know. But, yeah, it doesn't... It, it, do, doesn't it didn't work. I, I think that's just a slip-up. Yeah. But who cares? Uh, <laughs> I think... Except I, for the, the former collectors in the audience, like my father and this guy. Uh, Shep continues to say, I think I can classify both of you as non-sports nuts. That's more Jim than me. Like, I don't give a shit about baseball, but I'm pretty big fan oh, of yeah. football, and I do like to... Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I would consider you a sports fan. Okay, sure. sure, Thank you. Uh, But perhaps you're aware of the 30 for 30 series that airs on ESPN. Actually, I'm a fan of that series. I like that series. I've recommended a couple of them to you, and they're good. The Bo Jackson one is great. Bo Jackson's amazing. Uh, The the Chicago Cubs, the the Cubs game where the guy catches the ball over the... Reggie Miller. Did you see Reggie Miller's about the the rivalry he has with Spike Lee and the New York... uh, Not Nets. uh, God damn it. The Knicks. Uh-huh. The Knickerbockers. I didn't see that. I should watch it, though, because I was into the Pacers during that era. He recommends the latest episode called The 85 Bears is worth watching because it features the music of Breaking Bad composer Dave Porter. Like anything else Porter is involved with, his music adds so much to your viewing pleasure. Even if you don't like football, which I do, or the Bears, which I don't, it's worth the watch. Huh. This is my jam because before the Colts came to town, I think in 87, the Bears were my team. Okay. And I loved the 85 Bears as only an eight-year-old can love a front runner, and Jim McMahon and the fridge and Pate, Walter Pate, it was just all. So I'm I'm looking forward to this, and the Dave Porter angle is, is just takes the cake. So check it out. Uh, LP Henderson says, first fuck Chuck, buck buck Bo Buck." <laughs> Why? Why? There's here's the deal. In this with Chuck. episode or last episode? This is a this episode thing. Oh man. Uh. Here's the deal with Chuck and Jimmy. Each has a role in his family. Jimmy is the little brother who always wants him to be needs to be saved. Chuck is the older, successful brother whose shit never stank. And he saved Jimmy. As long as everyone stays in their respective lanes, everyone is happy. Jimmy got out of his lane by going to law school and becoming a member of the bar. Now Chuck is pissed. I don't think he has one single compunction about selling Jimmy up the river. Last season he said, the law is sacred. He dedicated his life to it. 
Jimmy's not worthy. Jimmy wants Chuck or Chuck wants Jimmy to understand that Chuck knows it. He even told Jimmy that he was there to bear witness. Fuck mm-hmm. this guy. Michael McKean is to be commended for being so brilliant, and then he makes me want to hate Chuck so much. Yeah. Uh, so, secondly, is there a rule that if you work at Hamlin, Hamlin, McGill, you must always wear Hamlin, Hamlindigo? Probably. It does seem like Probably. a lot of their people are rocking Hamlindigo blouses, suits, ties. <laughs> Bet there is a lot of pressure. Probably so. Final it's po- a brand. Final point, he's hearing the same dog whistle that uh, Dr. Barry Goodman is is hearing, too. Okay. Uh, where is the second Hamlin in HH&M? I've long thought that this Hamlin was the son and that the dad Hamlin, a.k.a. the senior, senior name partner, is somewhere else. Is he retired? Is he dead? Otherwise out of commission? One thing's for sure, there's a story buried in there. Here's the question. Uh, I, I want to kind of follow this path a little bit. The second Hamlin. How how old do you think Harry Hamlin is, as related to Chuck? Late thirties, early forties. Okay, what do you think the age difference is between? I don't Harry, think there is one. Chuck and Hamlin. No. No. Hmm. Okay, Hamlin's just better preserved and probably wears makeup and dyes his hair. Oh uh, yeah, no, he's just he's I'm, a little more vain. I mean, how old do you think Chuck's supposed to be? Because I think Chuck. I thought his, there might have been like a. A significant difference between the two, and I was really? going to go down the road that maybe because I, I think Ham, Chuck the is other supposed Hamlin, to be he's he's uh, uh, Michael McKean's sixty eight years old in real life, but I think he's playing for mid fifties. Okay, maybe that's where I'm coming from, and and Harry Hamlin uh, is significantly younger. Well, I guess if if I'm saying that Jimmy's late thirties, early forties, then I mean, they would be have, like ten years apart. You have a significantly older brother, right? So I'm my my question is, and the reason I go down this road is because. With the relationship that we know that, that is implied that Chuck and Harry have, uh, is it possible that the other Hamlin is the father of Harry Hamlin, and and he and Chuck got into business at first, and kind of Harry was brought in under their wing? Yeah, no, I do. Feel and like... that as he's as this relationship has progressed, Chuck still does not view him as kind of his equal because he's so much younger and he's less experienced, and and he got into business really with his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's potential for that, and especially since we don't see him around, maybe something bad has happened to him. Maybe, maybe he's not in the picture because he's maybe dead. Maybe they're both mid-40s, because I I feel like that uh, Kim, the actress who plays her, Miss Seahorn, I, I feel like I, I, I don't think I'm pronouncing their name right. I know that, actually, I know I'm not, because uh, uh, I remember Shane the Bowman Bowman writing and saying that, that I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I can't fucking remember the correct it seems like it should be Rhea Seahorn, but it's something that doesn't sound like that at all. Uh, but she's in, she's like 43, 44. Okay. I feel like that Jimmy's supposed to be that old. I think so, yeah. And then Chuck is in his early to mid-50s. So there's like a 10-year gap between them. Okay. And I think I think the Hamlin is, is in there there too. He's in his 40s. What, do you think he's significantly younger? No, no. I think he's about the same age as Jimmy, honestly. Um as Jimmy and Kim, which do you get where I'm going with this? Like the relationship between Chuck and Hamlin is clearly one of, in my mind, Chuck is views himself as a superior here. Yeah. And, and, and age could have a lot of, lot to do with that. And if he got into bed with Harry Hamlin's father, the other Hamlin, uh, and kind of was mentored by that other Hamlin, um, in a way, and they became partners and started this business. Well, if, if father Hamlin wants to drag Harry into the the company we're going to name it HHM. 
Totally, because yeah. I'm the man here, Harry, sure. and you're, or I'm the man here, Chuck, and your name is going to be last on the thing. Yeah, because I'm kind of doing you a favor, letting you be a partner here. I I could see this guy being the other Hamlin being Harry's father. Okay, I'm, this is all headcanon. This is all something I'm constructing on the fly here, but I think it makes sense. Okay, maybe uh, maybe they'll write in people write in and tell us about. How it. old do you think the actor does, that plays Hamlin is? I would guess. Early fifties, like okay, like, yeah, he's fifty one. Like uh, Odenkirk is, he is he's fifty one. Okay, uh, so man, he definitely looks younger. Yeah, I think so. Okay, let's move on. Michael McBee said, "I feel like this adds a lot to the plot of the series. For me, at least, it showed that uh, when he was watching his old commercials, this is talking about the pilot. Uh, not only was he missing that lifestyle, but he's also directing and starring in the commercials, and all out of his love for showmanship." Uh, it also serves as another call forward of the mentioned Ice Station Zebra Associates. Um, so we, we called that out too. But what do you think about this? Him going and looking over at the Better Call Saw commercials as a, almost a creative frustration. Because I feel like oh, his I, Better I, Call I, Saw commercials are not art at all. No, no, no. But certainly he felt more empowered hmm. <laughs> during that than he does as uh, Gene. I mean, clearly they didn't know that he made this commercial back when they were filming the pilot. I wonder if they did now, if he would be... It would tell us a lot about his mental state. Because I, you know, I got to put this all in my head, Gannon. He had his choice to watch any commercials. He decides to do the Better Call Saul, Mm -hmm. which makes me think he's kind of wallowing in his Saulish, grimy glory. If he had put on this commercial with the old lady, it might make me think that, oh, he's a frustrated auteur that never got the proper outlet. Okay. But that's that. that's a meta, you what? know what I'm saying? Or it's maybe it's ignoring the meta. Here here's another weird meta Arguing. thing. What? I I'm with you. I I I think they're they're saying something by having him watch his better call Saul commercials. Okay. Um but why doesn't why doesn't Jimmy go into acting or be a comedian? And I know that's weird to say because Odenkirk is a comedian and he is acting. Uh Probably cause the and pay maybe sucks. that's it, but <laughs> Well, not if you're not if you're a good actor. But that's the thing. Not if like, you're a really successful actor. Yeah, but everyone in L.A. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, every cocktail waitress and bartender and Uber driver is a successful actor waiting to happen, right? Right, right. But I would say a lot of them don't have the charisma that Jimmy has. J- everybody loves Jimmy, right? Yeah. They make that a point. Everyone I feel like being a, a high paid actor is a lot like being in the NBA. Like you have to have a baseline level of charisma, physical. A charm, right. and but you also need your break, and very sure. few people, like one in a hundred, get that break. Why doesn't he ever shoot for it? Because I, I feel like that's one of his natural Chuck callings. Wouldn't respect an actor, really? I don't think so. He'd respect him more than slipping Jimmy. Well, than a con but that's artist. a relative term. I mean, he's not going to like. I, I'm talking about at the family table during Thanksgiving dinner. He's not going to give you any respect for being an actor. He won't scorn you, maybe. Okay, okay. There's a difference there. But yeah. Jimmy clearly wants his big brother to look up to him, and his rejection of slippy, slipping Jimmy is as much of that as it is about anything. Yeah. Uh, moving on, the Pablo L said Vince Gilligan and company are amongst the most valuable or talented, rather, writers on television. Period. Yeah. Evidence is within their work and the insane idea that a spinoff to one of the greatest shows of all time can be equally as incredible. But there's this thing they do that admittedly bothers me. They have this way of making their female characters absurdly unlikable, even if they are within reason. For example, Skyler is written in such a way that many went on to explicitly hate her, even if Walter White was the maniacal drug lord with murderous tendencies. 
The same can be said about Kim Drexler. She definitely put her job on the line when sticking her neck out for Jimmy, but he's having a hard time adjusting and doing this straight, yet Kim is once again written in a way that elicits hate, as if she's doing or saying something as if she's doing or saying something wrong, as if wanting Jimmy to be a good guy for his benefit is somehow evil in scope. I don't agree with this criticism. I completely disagree. That's on you. That's on you, man. Uh I think she's being written as a completely rational and well-intentioned person. I can imagine saying what Kim said to Jimmy if I was in that position. Right. Like, look, man, I know you can do this job. I vouched for you. Don't fuck this up for both of us. Right. It's If you don't want the job, then get out same. now. Yeah. Like, but you, you, the option of doing the job in a crooked fashion is not going to work for me. Like, to me, that is someone being completely honest about what is going on. Now, I actually found her less likable in the last episode because I thought it was fundamentally weak, her saying, well, whatever you do, I don't want to know about it. I thought that's a pretty weak stance. I thought she was much more direct in this episode. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think Kim is completely relatable. It's a common mistake to take, uh, you know, the the antagonist the person who is opposing the protagonist and cast them in a villainous light certainly now i do like you know we we talked we spilt a lot of digital ink about what vince did and did not do intentionally to make you dislike skylar in early goings but i, th- I think kim's pretty pretty a pretty well realized and relatable character for i think me. so too and i i can pinpoint it the difference between chuck who i think is the villain right now uh and kim you see chuck's intentions are not pure Whereas Kim's intentions are pure. She wants this man to succeed. She wants her friend, yeah. uh, her her lover, her boyfriend, whatever they are, uh, to be... Slam peace. Her slam peace. <laughs> to be successful and to be a good person. Whereas Chuck doesn't want that. Hmm. Chuck wants his own selfish things, right? Like, Chuck doesn't want Jimmy to be a uh, slipping Jimmy because it'll reflect badly on him as a, a McGill. Hmm. Sure. Like I, uh, Chuck's motives are not pure to me, whereas Kim's are, uh-huh. and that's the difference I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 so I, I, I agree. I don't view her as a villain. Mister Reg Mail writes in, and he has a theme about addiction and artificiality. He says, like Iron Eyes Cody, the Italian American actor who dressed as a Native American for those anti-pollution and littering ads in the nineteen ah. seventies, okay. and seems to have inspired a single tear running down the old lady's cheek in Jimmy's commercial. Uh huh. Jimmy is just playing a role. He appears to be an energetic lawyer doing what he has to do to win. At first thought, I thought Jimmy's actions were based on an addiction to the adrenaline rush of getting over on people. I figured that he got off on being a rule breaker, a rebel, without a cause. No doubt that's a big part of it, but now I'm thinking that he views himself as much as a failure as Chuck does. Jimmy is constantly sabotaging his own efforts. Jimmy probably correctly deduced that the mailers of the assisted living residents were being misdirected by the staff. Good point for Jimmy. But what are the mail? But why are the mailers an eye-catching canary yellow to alert the staff? Because you wanted them to stand out. But why? Remember, Jimmy himself said earlier that old people keep everything. Therefore, the residents would have been interested in the mailers even if they were in black and white and printed on newspaper. Another sabotage was running the commercial without permission. Some may say that Jimmy didn't go for his boss to approval uh, before running the ad because he wanted to make sure it ran and it's always easier to ask for forgiveness than to beg for permission. That could be, but do we really think that Jimmy didn't feel he could talk his boss into giving the commercial a chance? 
This guy praised him in a very public way, let him head up in a, a department in the firm, has already given him the green light to do a commercial. As far as the content of the ad, even buttoned up Kim liked it. Jimmy has stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with police and gangsters by this point. Was he really afraid of a guitar-strumming strum ex-hippie? <laughs> no, Jimmy bypassed his boss because the pressure of all this professional commendation from the establishment was getting to him. What do you think about this as a man who's addicted to losing? That's interesting. And that, that comes in like with the, the gambler's philosophy, Like the right? more praise... The gets the more uncomfortable he feels and the more he wants to go back into his familiar role as the loser. Right. And it could be a, f a fear of success. Right? Sure. Like how long can you keep that up? Um, I'm yeah. a fraud. They're all going to get, they're going to, they're going to wake up tomorrow and realize it. That's right. Right. I mean, that's a super complicated thing sure. uh, that goes on. That does happen. Yeah, people. I can relate uh, to that. I can relate to that. Sure. I mean, there's as you succeed, there's more pressure to succeed, and uh, and you start to lose control of your identity in a lot of ways. And I feel like Jimmy, most of all, wants control over his own destiny, uh, and that's kind of the pushback he's giving, he's feeling with Chuck, mm -hmm. who also wants control over that destiny. Sure. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there is a lot of complicated stuff going on in Jimmy, uh, and I don't. I don't know. I think he understands it. Mm. I think he understands that he's not happy here. Uh, it's not what he wants to do, and he'd rather be doing something else. Because I feel like he made a conscious choice last episode. Whether he—that's th to go pursue Kim. Does he understand? I don't know what you mean by understand because that this is not his life. That this is not what he wants. Uh, do you think he understands Kim enough is. to articulate it though, or mm. is it just like a feeling he's got that this is like a, I'm in an ill-fitting suit? I think he can articulate it. I think he tried to I got this Coco Bolo desk and it's staining my fingers brown. What's going on? I think he – maybe he can't tell it to someone else in a way that they will understand, but I think he understands it in his own head uh, because he tried to tell Kim, and, he, and that's why they went on this whole thing with Ken Wins. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's him trying to articulate this point that he understands, just not getting it across the way he needs and to. And sometimes I, I think that, you know, like they, one of the reasons, a lot of times they'll say, like, the first step to beating addiction is to admit that you have a problem. Because right. articulating the problem gives it a certain amount of power. And I wonder if that's a little bit with what Jimmy's going through now, that, like, hmm. maybe he could articulate it, but he doesn't want to. Because if he sits and articulates it, that, like, I'm being self-destructive because I'm afraid of all the success and I don't deserve this job, like, that's that's crazy. That's crazy talk. Right. right. So if you just kind of leave it as like, ah, oh, you know, I can't, you know, it's just much more nebulous, like, failure talk, then it's easier to justify it in your own mind. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Me either. You know what else I'm not? Lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. We have a lot of people that are, and the, uh, there's people, some people love this stuff, some people hate this stuff. Uh, so I'm going to start uh, doing a law talk roundup with all of, because we got tons of lawyers that write in uh, with stuff to say. Standard ball move disclaimer. This is not legal advice. This is not an attempt to solicit uh, the legal counsel. <laughs> uh, the following lawyers might not be real lawyers. They could have law degrees written in crayon. Internet I don't lawyers. know. I'm just passing on information from, from people that are making claims to have expertise. Okay. Uh, with that said, Matt S. said regarding hearsay and perjury and what you can and cannot say to the cops. With the cops, the law is a self-regulating profession which means that the state bar associations promulgate rules promulgate rules to regulate attorney conduct there are tons of different rules and they vary slightly state to state but the best rule of thumb is that it feels like it's not kosher it's probably not kosher 
You certainly are not permitted under the rules of professional conduct in any state to fabricate evidence or to lie to the court, etc. Mm-hmm. With regard to hearsay and perjury and the document review, I think you hit the nail on the head, or perhaps it was Jim, when you said that this was a show written by non-lawyers for non-lawyers, which, thank God, I have enough real law at work. The hearsay law is incredibly complicated, which I, that's what I was getting at. But the overall goal is to make sure things not said by the person testifying, but rather a third person are reliable. Nobody is able to cross-examine the person whose statement is being relayed. So you cannot offer testimony about a statement for the purpose of establishing the truth hmm. of that statement unless it fits into the exceptions. The exceptions are, in theory, a place because, or in place because they, set, they are said at times and nobody would lie. You mentioned the excited utterance rule. The thought behind that is the person wouldn't have had time to think and come up with a lie. Another simple one is statements against the penal interest, because who would lie about being a criminal or breaking the law? It gets very convoluted, and there's definitely not something that would make for entertaining television. As for your questions as to why people don't lie more often on the stand, I personally am very hesitant to put somebody on the witness stand unless I have document evidence backing up whatever their testimony says, because it becomes much harder to lie when you have other evidence. Most criminal defendants also don't testify because it's going to do nothing but help the prosecution prove his case without other evidence to corroborate the testimony. Uh, finally, maybe this is just me being a New York-centric uh, lawyer, but white shoe global firms are mostly located in major cities. I take the subway to work. If I leave after a certain time, I can expense a cab. I would imagine it's similar to other places with big firms like Chicago, Los Angeles, etc. So I can see why the idea of a company car for a big law firm would sound strange. Yeah, that sense. made since like from what i said about you know like it seems like you just want it for swank purposes right i think all of that makes sense uh you know the stuff about hearsay versus actual testimony like all that stuff yeah i guess it's weird that like because the thing that i think is weird about is that you've got a third party testifying and i guess that's you're counting on them not literally purging perjury right but it's it's first person testimony whereas well hearsay is like Second person, third person? Yeah, so it's like you can – this person's saying, this guy said, oh, my God, what have I done as soon as they got in a car wreck, and that's evidence. Right, right. But that's an – but that's – so, like, me, I'm not doubting that the guy said, oh, my God. I'm more doubting that that guy heard him accurately because here's the – I come at this from a scientific point of view. Mm -hmm. The least reliable form of evidence in any kind of scientific thing Mm -hmm. is first-person testimony. Sure, because there's so many fucking problems with it. Yet when it's said in the court of law, that is like the highest form of evidence, like a first person perspective on it's, something. It's not the highest. Testimony. It's not the highest I w- form. No, maybe not by rule like of law. Direct physical evidence, I would say, is the highest but, form. But, but ju- the juries, I think, eyewitness testimony is more important than technical. It wouldn't be to me. Well, because I do take more how many of that times have you served approach. on a jury? Never. Uh, the defense rest, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Ivy League, Ivy League lawyer came back for a second helpings. He said, Aaron's instinct is correct. Big city lawyers do receive some sort of type of car stipend, but not for the reason you might imagine. And here's how it works. If I work in the office past 8 p.m., the law firm would put me in a cab or black car home. Gotcha. Uh, I didn't receive a stipend because it would have to pay taxes on that. The reason the firm would send us home in a cab or black car is to prevent liability for the firm in case I worked at 2 a.m. and got robbed taking the subway home. When you work for lawyers, they really cover a lot of angles, man. I was gonna say my employers never cover. They that. don't give. They yeah, they don't give a shit. You're gonna work till two a.m. I don't give a shit <laughs> you, if you get, you get mugged, killed, and murdered, and you raped. Just better it show matter up tomorrow. To <laughs> that code better compile. <laughs> right. Maybe we need to unionize. Um, plus, it was a nice perk and encouraged me to work late hours, i.e., bill clients longer. I also received a dinner stipend of thirty bucks if I worked late. 
Don't worry, the client pays for all of it. I had no doubt of that. Uh, he says, if I need to go to the client's office during the day, same deal. The firm would either order one of those nice black cars, or I w- and I would shove my boxes in the trunk, and off to the client's office I go. Uh, he also says, here's why folks should be wary of, wary of perjury. First, because it's wrong. Second, because you can go to jail. I know that was my big big thing, is I didn't feel like there was enough uh, negative things to it, but he disputes that. He says, hmm. ask Martha Stewart or Little Kim. They each got a year in prison simply for lying in court. Okay. Next, if you go to trial in the federal system, here's how it works. Uh, if you get convicted on federal charges and lie, it's obstruction of justice, which adds two base points to your offense level. More points means mo jail. So lying only works if your lie is so good that you get off. And at sentencing, a federal judge gets to look at evidence that a jury doesn't get to consider. For example, you may have admitted to a crime, but that statement doesn't get played at trial because the police didn't read you your Miranda light rights. So you get the bright idea to argue at trial you had nothing to do with the crime. The jury may never have heard the confession, but if you are convicted, the sentencing judge is allowed to consider that when fashioning your sentence. Plus, as Matt huh. points out, most guys defending themselves don't actually testify. Right. Why would you? Because you've already testified you to your, your lawyers. Right, yes. You give up your right to remain <laughs> silent and all. You can be cross-examined and all kinds of stuff. Right. Uh, Doug L., he has some information on the current episode and, and as it regards to solicitation. It says, New Mexico has adopted the American Bar Association's model ethics rules for attorneys. Rule 7.3 sets forth the rules on client solicitation. I'm going to read the, ah, oh, shit, I bolded all this and then I normalized the font and now I haven't. I'm going to try to surmise this law because it's long and it's dry. Yeah. Uh, the prime rule is a lawyer shall not by in-person or live telephone or real-time electronic contact solicit professional employment when a significant motive for the lawyer's doing so is the lawyer's gain, which is going to be almost always. Right. Unless it's a relative or a close personal or prior professional relationship or a fellow lawyer. That's an interesting. So you know, I guess okay. you can you can solicit lawyers all all that you want. Uh, there should be a prostitution ring that's just lawyers for lawyers fucking each other for money because just just de facto not not solicitation. You're right. Need uh, <laughs> you need a bunch of prostitutes with sham American Samoan legal degrees. Imagine how many mailers lawyers must get then. Hmm. Like well, if you're see, that's a lawyer, the thing, they, they can get solicited it, it, all day, every day. But that's the, this is only governing in-person, live telephone, or real-time electronic right, right, right. contact. That's contact. why the mailers are legal. That's why the TV commercials are legal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you also um, you can't contact a person by written, recorded, or electronic communication, Unless. as well as the others. Um, E, um, even if they're not in conflict with other rules, if they tell you they don't want to be contacted to you, right. or your solicitation involves coercion, duress, or harassment. Sure. Uh, and also, every written, recorded, or electronic communication from a lawyer soliciting professional employment has to have the words advertising material on the outside envelope and at the beginning and ending of any recorded or electronic information. I didn't see that. Did you? Well, that's the thing. I, I was thinking about these canary yellow. The the theory that the other, I think it was Pablo had, is that if it says that this is an advertising material on the outside envelope and it's from a law firm, unless you just completely send it from some other company, that it would be really easy for Sandpiper to go through and eliminate that stuff. Right. I'm talking about the the TV commercial. That he films. I didn't see this as a, an advertisement for whatever. 
Hmm. That's a good point. I guess that would be if, something that would be that, easy to fix. If if Cliff, well, Cliff didn't see the video. That's uh, right. Although, that's right. Does, does he say I want to see this thing, or does he say? Yeah, no. They yeah, want he to says I want to see this. Okay. Thing. Well, then he hasn't seen the video. I was going to say maybe that's what he's so angry about. But well, and the other thing is that maybe, could be a huge problem for him if he doesn't. Yeah. If he didn't know that rule. Yeah. Or. I don't know. I, I wonder if it's it's actually going to turn on something that subtle, though. It might. It might. It might. I mean, but it also, I'm not going to be mad that. if it doesn't. Sure. Uh, so Doug's analysis is, bearing these rules in mind, did Jimmy break any of them? Most likely, yes. He was free to speak to the lady on the bus because she was already a client based on the mailers, which was undoubtedly proper. Right. The speechifying in front of the rest of the citizens <laughs> as an in-person contact designed to drum up business for for pecuniary uh, gain is a, di- is a different problem. Um, also, the... Hmm. The situation was engineered that it was a sure. it, that he bribed the guy to break the neck. Can you prove that? And get that guy to testify. On the other hand, it does <laughs> it does look kind. Of, yeah, that's true. You could test, and then he has to perjure himself. Yeah. Uh, of course, this does not mean attorneys cannot obtain business by person to person contacts at all. But the limits here are straightforward. We don't want lawyers literally chasing ambulances, crowding hospital beds, or pestering the elderly. Elderly. Mm-hmm. That's why mailers and commercials are okay because they are passive and personal and can be ignored. So it does seem like is he saying what he did was illegal? Yes, and that well, not illegal, a breach of ethics by Which the would be New illegal, Mexico Bar yeah. Association. I d- well, enough to get you disbarred. Disbarred, that, which I guess you can't serve time or anything. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if some states actually did legislate what lawyers maybe. can and can't do. Yeah. Uh, and I okay. don't know. Maybe you okay. can. Maybe that surprises me. It also wouldn't be surprised if there was law states that had a catch-all, like if you're found in violation of your ethical standards, that we can persecute you for, or prosecute you for that. Um, but again, I'm just speculating. It surprises me that that what he what he did there, aside from you know bribing the guy and and setting this whole thing well, up. Well, the other thing is, I, I wonder the the fact that Sandpiper's being such pricks about it. Because what if he met her in a hotel lobby? Sure. Uh, and there happened to be one other guy. I think there. that's fine. Okay, I, think I get fine. that this situation was engineered. I, but I, I wonder, like, aside you know, from that, obviously they're taking them to. I forget where they were taking them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a bingo place or a, a, a doctor's office or something. If he no. waited there and just talked to her, I think that would have been fine too. It's the fact that he was clearly trying to drum up this thing in person to all these people. Right. Like it seems also showing up to their. You know, showing up to their uh, nursing homes would be uh, with, with Jello cups. Having your yeah, like what he did last season, that would be solicitation too. But that was, you know, th- th- I guess he wasn't working for a big law firm, so the stakes were a lot lower there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought that's interesting. That's your law talk for the week. Again, none of the aforementioned okay. was legal advice. Doesn't con- constitute a t- attorney-client privilege. <laughs> sure, et cetera, et cetera. You, Please don't email me telling the, me you that telling me that you killed somebody. Nobody put a dollar in my pocket, so I'm pretty sure I'm not anybody's lawyer. <laughs> but I am playing footsies with you under the table. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, I, I was I was purposely avoiding you. <laughs> uh, it's because you don't approve of my ethics, not because you don't find me sexy. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell myself. I'm going to tell true. myself it's tearfully true. on my pillow tonight. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to send us email, bettercastsaw at baldmove.com is where you send it, or forums at bald, forums.baldmove.com where you can discuss it with us and our fellow, your fellow fans. That's all I got for this week. Yep, that's it. We'll see you guys next week for uh, another episode. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya.